Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. On this very unusual, delightful Sunday when Christmas is on a Sunday morning. So here we are together. Our idea was that we'd have 12 people in their pajamas and that we would um, tell stories about the traditions of our families on Christmas and Christmas Eve. So we're a spiritual and spirited community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning. We're very glad you're here, and I extend a special welcome to those of you who are visiting with us, maybe for the first time. If you have questions about this faith or about this church, don't hesitate to ask Shannon or Mary, who are standing at the visitor table. They'll do their best to help you get your answers. We come from a long tradition of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in every person. So it is in the spirit of that tradition that I say, let us greet the divine in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Words with me by which we light the chalice, which is the symbol of our faith. Love is the spirit of this church and service is its law. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. The camels speak. Of course, they never consulted us. They were wise men, kings, star readers, and we merely transportation. They simply loaded us with gifts and turned us toward the star. I ask you, what would a king know of choosing presents for a child? Had they ever seen a baby born to such simple folk, so naked of pretension, so open to the wind? What would such a child care for perfumes and gold? Far better to have asked one born in the desert, tested by wind and sand. We saw what he would need, the gift of perseverance, of continuing on the hard way, making do with what there is, living on what you have inside. The gift of holding up under a burden, of lifting another with grace, of kneeling to accept the weight of what you must bear. Our footsteps could have rocked him with the rhythm of the road, shown him comfort in a harsh land, the dignity of continually moving forward. But the wise men were not wise enough to ask. They simply left their trinkets and admired the rustic view. Before you knew it, we returned toward home, carrying men only half willing to be amazed. But never mind. We saw the baby, felt him reach for the bright tassels of our gear. We desert amblers have our ways of seeing what you chatterers must miss. That child at heart knows something about following a star. Our gifts are given. Have no doubt. His life will bear the print of who we are. All I can say is you haven't lived until you've sung We Three Kings with 14 paranoid schizophrenics on Christmas Eve. At 7 o'clock the Christmas Eve, I was 15. My father developed an urgent need to go caroling. He loved the idea of serving humanity, but the actuality of serving humanity was too time-consuming, too much trouble, too little applauded for any of us to have done much of it. 
Christmas is a time, though, when one's thoughts turn to helping others. You watch A Christmas Carol, and it's a wonderful life, and you feel moved to do something loving and giving. My dad had not yet done any Christmas service to humanity, and since it was Christmas Eve, the deadline was fast approaching. We hadn't even bought our Christmas tree, but my dad had an impulse to go caroling, and he wanted me and my 13-year-old sister to go with him. We wailed that it would be terminally embarrassing to go caroling with him around our neighborhood. The neighborhood, he informed us cheerfully, was not what he had in mind. He felt called to go caroling eight miles down the road at the Norristown State Mental Hospital. If you have ever known a teenage girl, you know my sister and I had sulking, sighing, and rolling our eyes raised to an art form. My dad, though, was an artist himself at growling, jollying, guilting, and flashing a charismatic personality. By 7.30, we were slumped in the back seat of the blue olds. My 12-string guitar was riding in the trunk. By 7.45, we pulled up to the heavy wrought iron gates of the mental hospital. My dad had called ahead and spoken to someone in the office, but that person had not told the guards at the gate. At first, they looked at us with suspicion, but my father was famous in Philadelphia at that time because he was on the 6 and 11 o'clock TV news. They'd seen his face before. In five minutes, they had been charmed into believing we were not there to break out an insane serial killer. So they let us in and gave us directions to the building where they thought we might want to sing. The staff people in that building were surprised to see us too, but they were kind. With good grace, they began directing patients to the lobby where we three carolers stood. The staff set up chairs while we waited. I was completely humiliated. I let my hair hang in front of my face and pretended to be invisible. My little sister copied me. Naturally. The patients started shuffling in, holding their heads at that too far back angle I have now, I know now, means heavy doses of Thorazine. In their dishwater gray hospital gowns, it was hard to tell anyone's age. Everybody looked old, even the young ones. They shuffled to their chairs. My dad motioned for me to get out my guitar. We started with the first Noel and Hark the Herald Angels Sing. A woman wearing bright red lipstick on her lips, her cheekbones, and in a circle on her chin, slapped her legs and sang loudly in time with the music. Her voice sounded like something between a crow and a warning siren, and she didn't bother with words. She especially liked, joyful, joyful, we adore thee. We started smiling at each other. Her enjoyment became a blaze that caught in the rest of us. One by one, each of the patients joined us in singing. It was during We Three Kings that I forgot to act cool. We were having Christmas, and the whole dark place just for a moment, was lit with joy. Now is the time in our service when we breathe deeply together. We follow our breath, or we pray to God as we understand God, or we listen for our inner wisdom 
It is in this still point that all of the religions of the world say that wisdom can be found. We can find ourselves held in the heart of love. Let us enter the wise silence together, mindful that in this congregation, sounds of life and noises of small children count as part of the silence. Christmas morning is such a time, isn't it? There's so much anticipation and so much delight. There's so much loneliness and so much disappointment. It's a messy time. People are with their families, which can be wonderful. It can be stressful. I'm thinking about each one of you and what you bring with you into this room, what you bring on this Christmas morning, what you need to hear, what you have to say. This is such a wonderful job that Chris and I have. We get to watch you light candles on a Sunday morning. It feeds our spirits. There's a, a writer named Frederick Beekner who wrote, if you have your ears open, if you have your eyes open, every once in a while some word in even the most unpromising sermon will flame out. Some scrap of prayer or anthem, some moment of silence even, the sudden glimpse of somebody you love sitting there near you, or of some stranger whose face without warning touches your heart. These moments will flame out, and these are the moments that, in the depths of whatever our dimness and sadness and lostness are, send us off on an extraordinary journey for which there are no sure maps, and whose end we will never fully know until we get there. Good morning, everybody. Um, I'm not going to tell you a story about my family traditions, but I'm going to tell you a story. You got? Is this good? Yeah. Um, I'm going to tell you a story, a Christmas story that just happened to me, and I call it a "What Christmas Is About" story. So on Friday afternoon, I received probably the best Christmas gift ever. I hope I can do this without crying. Um. By this gift came to me by participating in and witnessing the essence of the Christmas spirit, hospitality, um, inclusion, and compassion. My friend, who walks the walk of love thy neighbor, and we are not well unless we are all well, invited me, a homeless man, and a woman who lives in public housing to an afternoon Christmas party at her house uh, with lunch and sharing presents. Lovely. 
My friend and I know the homeless man and uh, the woman from working with them during this last campaign. Uh, these two people have the most uh, excellent work ethic I have seen in a long while. Anyway, um, the two people, the man and the woman, were like small children on Christmas Day with presents, lovely food, and all of us sitting together around the table like a family. They seemed very happy and content. The man, who is 56 years old, looked at the beautiful tree in my friend's home, his eyes a bit misty, and he said, I haven't had Christmas in 45 years. I suspect the woman had not shared a Christmas with friends or family as well for many years. So thank you, my dear friend, for inviting me to share that beautiful afternoon and probably the best Christmas ever. Thank you. Uh, my family actually has a lot of traditions surrounding Christmas, but one of my favorites is probably that on Christmas Eve, normally around like 11 o'clock at night, we watch a Muppets Christmas Carol every year. And usually only one of us actually makes it to the end. <laughs> my dad's asleep within the first 20 minutes. My mom is asleep within like an hour at the most. But it's still great because like every year we gather like in our living room and we sing along to all the songs and the, the quote along and it's just a lot of fun. I'm done now. When I was little, we lived in Schulenburg, a Czech-German community about 80 miles from here. I'm sure many of y'all know it for its kolaches, if for no other reason. And uh, being, my, my parents were also from a German heritage. And so we celebrated uh, St. Nicholas Day. On December 5th, we would put up our socks. We didn't have stockings. We put up our socks at the foot of our beds. And we got oranges and apples and nuts. And my mother would make little um, Santa Clauses out of blown-out eggs. Then on Christmas Eve, after um, the candlelight service, my, my father was a minister at St. Paul's United Church of Christ. Yes, I'm a PK. Please don't say that explains a lot. <laughs> big, big, it does, actually. So anyway, after uh, Christmas Eve service, we'd go back to the house and we would uh, act out a Christmas carol for my parents. Uh, I have three sisters, three older sisters. And this was very serious business. Uh, I remember particularly Good King Wenceslas. I was the page. Uh, we raided the, the dress-up box and our dance class uh, costumes uh, I'll never forget this hideous pink magenta satin bathrobe. That was the king. And uh, then another year we did What Child Is This? And like I said, it was serious business. This is perhaps where my sense of theatricality came from. So when my oldest sister, Elaine, who was married, dropped the baby... We did not let her forget that for years. 
I may call her today. She's a grandmother. I may say, hey, Elaine, drop the baby today. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a good time. But then on, on Christmas morning, we would open our presents. I never had a, a concept of, of Santa Claus, really. Um, I knew that some kids did. But I knew that my mother had bought the presents. And another reason is perhaps at our church, we had a tradition of pounding. Does anybody know what pounding is? You do. Okay. It doesn't have anything to do with on the heads of small children who won't behave. Um, but the, the members of the congregation would wrap up a pound of flour, five pound bag of sugar, whatever, because we didn't, my father didn't get paid much. And, and those were groceries. And we appreciated it. I guess, I hope we did. So I, I guess one reason I never really thought that Santa Claus was real, because I, I'd never heard that Santa Claus would bring a box of Bisquick uh, <laughs> to good children. So that's it. Hi, I'm Crockett Gravy. I uh, probably have an experience uh, unlike anybody else in the audience because when I was growing up, my mother did not believe in Christmas. Uh, we would have a great Thanksgiving meal, but uh, the, uh, we never had had a uh, uh, Christmas gather when I was growing up. And uh, my father was did not belong to the same religion, but on the other hand, uh, uh, he ever. Uh, I remember one. Once or twice, he gave us gifts on Christmas just to spite my mother, pretty much. <laughs> and so I, I uh, but uh, it's, it's a little like uh, McBurnhouse mentioned 14 schizophrenics. Uh, we were on a scaven schizophrenics. But anyway, <laughs> we, uh, we uh, did, uh, did come along. And I remember one, one gift my dad gave us. Is uh, he, he had uh, he had gotten a, a uh, everybody a wallet at the the bank and he put a dollar into it. Now a dollar may not sound much like much, but remember this was fifty years ago. Fifty years ago, a dollar is worth a lot more. And when you're a kid getting a wallet with a dollar, it uh, makes an impression. And I guarantee you, I I remember that even fifty years later. I'm Janelle. I'm visiting. I used to be a member here. Um, so, oh, for the last fellow, <laughs> I was the one that ruined Christmas for my family one year. I was five years old, and I told my younger brother and sister that there was no Santa Claus. So, <laughs> so I ruined Christmas that year. <laughs> but my, my, uh, the reason I came up here is to tell you about spiced peaches. And it's the first thing I remember this year about Christmas was my mom made homemade spiced peaches that had cloves stuck in them. And I couldn't find spiced peaches anywhere. I've looked. <laughs> so I don't know where they went, but they're not around anymore. <laughs> okay. Hello. Um, so when I was a, a kid, um, so my, my family has Hungarian heritage, and the, the way you celebrate... Christmas in Hungary, celebrate Christmas Eve, and instead of Santa visiting, the 
um, angels and baby Jesus visit, and they bring the tree as a sort of surprise when the kids aren't around. And so we'd sit down for our Christmas Eve meal, fully expecting something magical to happen later. And then the kids would get swept away to go look at Christmas lights. Um, that's what we would do, at least. We'd pile in the minivan, and a couple of adults would take us around to go look at Christmas lights while the rest of the, the adults sort of scrambled at home to put up a tree, quickly decorate it, and put some gifts under it <laughs> by the time we got back. And um, it was always so magical when you walk in the door, and there'd be this lit-up tree like, oh, my gosh, the baby Jesus and angels came while we were gone. What a shocker. And there's all these gifts. Um, and one year we went out and we took the minivan, and the minivan was, was getting a little finicky, and the, the, the gas gauge no longer worked, and so you could see where this is going. We ran out of gas on this trip, and, you know, this is pre-cell phone. This is pre-even those car phones, those, you know, sort of weird big phones. So, you know, it, it wasn't a good situation that we had run out of gas. Um, we were on a main street, and the place that we had run out of gas was um, in front of a church. And so my grandfather's in the car, not a young man even then, and my, my uncle in the car, and my uncle gets in and starts steering. My grandfather gets out, starts pushing. I don't know why they did it in that order. It didn't make sense. Um, but, you know, the congregation had just happened to let out, and so the whole congregation got behind the car and pushed the car a couple of blocks to the gas station. And I just remember that being a really special experience, and um, we filled up then, and, you know, and my grandfather got his Skittles, even though we weren't allowed to eat candy, and then everything was well. We, we ended up getting home a little later than planned. There was no way to alert the, the folks at home putting together the tree, but nevertheless, the baby geniuses and the angels had done their work by the time we had gotten home, and it was Christmas as usual after that. But, um, yeah, it was a really special, special experience, that's for sure. Um. I have an interesting one. So my parents had that tradition when I was growing up. Um, and as we got uh, to be teenagers, of course, there's no more Jesus and, and, uh, and um, angels bringing the tree. So we would go out and buy a tree with my dad and then come home. My sister and I would come home with him, you know, roughly on 24th, 23rd, and then decorate the tree. And um, my dad was a big personality. He was a huge personality. He pushes cars at 65 years old. He also is the cheapest man on earth. And he would wait till the um, Christmas tree lots would close up, and whatever was left over was our tree. <laughs> <laughs> so one year, we found an excellent tree, <laughs> tied it to the car, brought it home. It was still a tree. And my mother was out shopping or doing something, preparing for our meal not home. We set up the tree, and my father loved tinsel. He, it was an art and a science. Every piece had to be in you know, a certain way, and so we decorated the tree. We were pretty happy with it, but he kept saying to me, get the vacuum. <laughs> There's vacuum under the tree, a few needles here and there. By dinner time, there were no needles left on the tree, just <laughs> tinsel and, you know, baubles. So my mother, you know, was through a fit and, you know, screamed at him. How could you let this happen? You're the cheapest man on earth. <laughs> you get what you pay for and forced us to take tinsel by tinsel, everything off that tree and go get another one <laughs> and decorate it. <laughs> I know my fear will burn away. I know my soul will unfurl its wings. 
I know this rose will open. Join me in the fellowship hall. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at www.austinuu.org.